the young people are dismissed, we're going to go to Matthew chapter 5. Children be dismissed now. They'll go back to Children's Church and they'll hear good teaching and preaching from the Evens there. Appreciate them being willing to help. We're in Matthew chapter 5. When I uh, drive or travel, I like to use that time on the road to make phone calls. And one thing I've learned several times uh, because of several times I've experienced it, uh, on I-29, just south of the Madison exit, there is a dead spot. And uh, so as you're driving, if you're on the phone, uh, sometimes it'll start to get a little fuzzy or you'll start to fade out. They can't hear you on the other end. In fact, don't judge me, but there's some people that I call on purpose just as I'm coming to that section of the road. I'm so sorry. Uh, you know, you get credit. You tried. But what that happens sometimes when you're on the low spot of a road like that, you lose the signal or the signal becomes weak. In your life, you're also going to have some low spots. And it will seem that God is not getting through to you. Uh, but the key is especially in, in my instance, what I'm traveling on I-29, is to get out of that low spot into a higher spot, and then I get the signal back. And that's the key in your life as well. In fact, I'll even tell people sometimes, I'm warning you, uh, in a minute I might get a little fuzzy, but just hang on the line and I'll be through it, and we'll be able to resume our conversation. And that, dear friend, is true in our life as well. We ought not wallow in our low spots. We ought to keep going and pull out of them. And that's why I'm glad that you're here today. Because coming to a place like this will help you to, uh, you know, because some people do this. They get into a low spot of their life and they just wallow there. They just rest there and they moan and complain and they gripe and they're never able to pull out of there. But you'll And you'll never get a signal as long as you sit in your low spot. Uh, but get out to a place like this and it'll be a help to you. Now Jesus is preaching a message on how to be happy. In fact, he starts every, uh, what we call the Beatitudes, we call this the Sermon on the Mount, and he's talking in this sermon, blessed are they that, and then he lists different things. The word blessed means happy, and so he's basically telling us how we can be happy. Uh, we are looking today at the fourth Beatitude uh, in this message. A Beatitude is just the attitude we ought to be having. This ought have this attitude, okay? That's what a beatitude is. Now, a true Christian has an appetite for spiritual things. Ask people what they desire, and you'll find out what kind of person they are. This is true both physically and spiritually. Uh, physically, if you only eat junk food and you eat no vegetables, you're going to look like... We won't use anybody here as an example, but you know what I'm talking about, right? Uh, people need to know the difference between want and need, don't they, in their life? I want to eat vegetables, but I need chocolate. That's the way that we often look at our, our life here. Uh, but your body will reflect your appetite. That's just a fact of life. Spiritually, you're also going to reflect what you have an appetite for. Junk habits lead to junk lives. I uh, read a statement, I don't know who made this, but people are driven by their appetites uh, people who are driven by their appetites perish by ignoring their reason. People who are governed by their reason often perish by ignoring their appetites. 
Only the wise are able to sustain a creative tension between these opposites. Now, what that is a fancy way of saying is appetites aren't necessarily bad. Appetites are good. It's just that we ought to have an appetite for the right things, and that'll help us in our spiritual life. This brings us to the fourth beatitude. So if you've got your Bibles open to Matthew 5, let's look at verse number 6 is where we're at today. Matthew 5, 6. Blessed or happy are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. I want to talk to you today about how to be hungry and happy. Hungry and happy. Father, I pray you'd help us in the next few minutes here. May we hear and see something out of your word that will even change us in some area in our life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The focus, according to this verse, of our appetite ought to be righteousness. The word righteousness in our text comes from an original word. It really, generally, it means approval. It just means approval, uh, ultimately of God, obviously, in the context here. But we're talking about being right with somebody, being approved to be accepted, to be received. And we all want this. Imagine today you're going to an important job interview. Or maybe you're going out on a date and uh, with somebody that you desperately want uh, to like you back as you like them. Or if you ever run for office or if you run for a position or try out for a position at your workplace. All these have something in common. They're all anxiety producing. Why? Because we're waiting for a verdict. We're waiting for the verdict of what we're investing ourselves in. What will they say after the job interview? What will this person think about me afterwards? What will, what will happen on election day? We are looking for the verdict. Will I be approved? Will I be received? Will I be accepted? You're waiting for rightness. If the verdict comes in approving you, then that brings us tremendous fulfillment. If the verdict comes in rejecting you, then the result can be much discouragement. Now, now psychologists tell us that every one of us struggle with this in our life of being accepted. We all want to be accepted. And now we have different standards because we set our sights on different uh, points of that, our sources of that acceptance. Uh, we, we even build our identity or our image uh, on the people and powers that we want to accept us that are most important to us. Yet there's a problem with all that because underneath it all, there is a deep insecurity that can often lead to anxiety in our life because we all struggle with this sense of rightness. Even with a good verdict in what you're looking to get acceptance in, you know there's going to come another thing in your life very soon that might give you a bad verdict because it does. it's not all-inclusive. There's over and over these things come into our lives. And so we all struggle with this, and the reason is found in Romans chapter 3 when it says, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. So none of us are righteous. Every one of us knows that at a deep level. But when we develop an appetite for the acceptance of God and we become ravenous for God's acceptance and approval, when we hunger and thirst after His approval, that is when we're filled. And can I tell you, friend, this is exciting. The verdict is in about you. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6, to the praise, the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted. That's the verdict for you. You are accepted by Him. Praise God for that. Now, let's look at this desire and kind of break down this idea of hunger and thirst. There's a fervency here in this desire. Hunger and thirst. This is an indication of a strong desire. 
And I'll just ask you, just as a start, how hungry are you for the Word of God? How hungry and thirsty are you for Would you say you have no appetite for the Bible, or you have a little appetite for the Bible, or you can't get enough of the Word of God? This will often tell us what type of Christian we are in our life. The passion for God is often characterized in Scripture by hunger and thirst. I'll give you an example. Psalm 42, verse 1, As a heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God. The word panteth here is the idea of longing for water, wanting water desperately. I'm talking about a thirst for God. Nine million people starve to death every year in the world. Nine million. Yet according to the Centers for Disease Control, 74% of Americans, adults in America, are overweight. That's if there's three people sitting next to you, or four, uh, the, the, between the four of you, three of you are overweight. That's just what they say. Now, I think that they're a little bit, their scale's a little off, because I looked one day and uh, was doing the, the, the scale they use, and I found out I'm borderline abuse, uh, obese, or I was at that time, you know. And, uh, wait a second. Uh, but, but many of us are overweight. The journey of a thousand pounds begins with a single French fry, and we all have that problem, don't we? Americans spend 59 billion, with a B, eating out every year. 45% of Americans, adults, right now, are on diets. 93 million Americans have high cholesterol. And as just a public service announcement, I'll tell you, if you take pills for high cholesterol, they are much easier to take when they're wrapped in bacon. I found that to be true. Amen. We pay all this money to eat out, and then we pay exorbitant fees, membership fees to a gym, so that there we can go and exercise. Uh, and exercise is, puts a bad taste in your mouth, doesn't it? Wash your mouth out with chocolate just to get rid of it. Uh, but the exercising is not something we enjoy. It's necessary. We have an exercise bike in our bedroom. My wife and I have an exercise bike in our bedroom. I won't tell you which one of us uses it. Uh, but I have found out it absolutely works. I throw my jeans over it, and they've gotten smaller. So I don't know. It does work. But I'm simply saying in America, it's not that we're not hungry. We're just hungry for the wrong thing. We have an appetite for the wrong things. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. In America, it's actually hard to be hungry, if you really think about it, for most of us. We're rolling in restaurants and fast food all around us because usually before we get hungry, we're snacking, and, and we, it, hunger often really, some of us are never really, really hungry. I have a habit that my wife thinks is weird. In fact, I have a few, but we'll only talk about one today. When my wife and I are planning to go out to supper, I want to know early on in the day where we're going, what time we're going, because I have to do something that I call stomach prep. I don't know if this is just me, but I do stomach prep when we're going out to eat in the evening. I like to know where we're going, what we're having, because I've got to prepare. Because when I get to the restaurant, which inevitably will be Texas Roadhouse, I mean, we talk about others, but we end up there. And uh, when I get there, I want to be able to be hungry. So that means I eat early lunch, and uh, depending on when we go, I eat earlier, and then no snacking throughout the afternoon because I want to prepare myself 
and, and uh, I want to be hungry when I get there. Can I ask you this? Why are we not hungry for righteousness? Because we're constantly snacking on junk food. We're eating the potato chips of the world's entertainment. We're drinking the soda of the world's music. We're snacking on all the garbage that the world has to offer. Then when it comes to the meal that's important to us, when the pastor gets up or when it's church time, we get there when we ought to be ravenous for the Word of God in our life. We're not hungry because we've been snacking on junk food all the time. The Bible says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. What we need to do spiritually, we need to do some stomach prep. Amen? And we need to prepare ourselves for the Word of God. Have you ever really, really been hungry? Like I said before, we don't get hungry that often because if we even get the start of the pangs of hunger, then we're just, we'll snack on something. And it seems to always be snacks around. The hungriest I ever remember being was in a fast. It was a, about a 48-hour fast that my, my pastor asked me to do for something that was going on in the church at that time. And it was a few years ago. And uh, it so happened to be the second day, uh, the day that it would end that evening, so happened to be the day of a presidential election. That wasn't what the fast was about. It just happened to land there. And I thought, good, that gives me a goal. Because I, I like more than just a time, I like to set an event. When that happens, I can eat. So I thought, uh, when the president gets announced who the next president is, then I can eat. This was back in the day when uh, we voted. And uh, there was a certain day that people vote. And the president was decided by the vote of the people. So it's a kind of ancient history. But there was one problem on this day. It was November 7th, 2000. Do you remember that? Yeah. Who said that? That is not nice. That's a long time ago. It's not that long. My goodness. You have to be careful with people. Um, so so uh, I don't know if you remember that. The people running in that election was George W. Bush and Al Gore. And I was eagerly watching the election because I wanted to eat. I was starving. And when they announced the uh, president, I would get to eat. They didn't know who was president till December 13th that year. Remember that? <laughs> this was November 7th. I had to fast for 36 days. No, I didn't. I ate by 11 o'clock. I said, there's enough. And I tore into a cheeseburger. But if you ever are really, really hungry, stay with me now. And when you get to the point of starving or real hunger, the desire for food and drink will become everything to you. It'll become more important than anything else in life. And I got to tell you, by about 10.30, about 11 o'clock, uh, I voted for Bush that year, but I was ready for him to uh, concede. Man, just give it to Al Gore so I can eat something here. Nothing mattered but food. Let me tell you, friend, when you get to the point in your life where you have starved yourself out of the world, you'll be hungry for God. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And then what happens? You'll be filled, the Bible says, for they will be filled. Then look at the frequency of the desire to hunger and thirst, if we go to English class, is a durative present tense. That means the hungering and thirsting, it continues. It's not just a one-time momentary desire. It's a desire that ought to characterize the life of a Christian. Can you imagine, friend, what your life would look like if you had a constant, continual, burning desire for the things of God, for righteousness, it would change many of us drastically. What does it look like? Look at the displaying of this beatitude. What does it look like to hunger and thirst? People who live this beatitude will be interested in reading their Bibles and praying. 
These people will be careful to have a daily quiet time with God uh, at some point during their day. They'll be seen in church services regularly. Uh, they'll be not, they won't be found in bars and clubs and running with the world uh, with that crowd. Their actions will match their desire to be holy, to be righteous, to be clean, to be godly. Because you see, our appetite reveals our character. Our appetite will tell us much about what kind of Christian we are. The man with a strong appetite for alcohol, that shows you something about his character. The, per, uh, the woman with an appetite for gossip, by the way, it's not just women, it's men too. The person with an appetite for gossip tells you something about her character. Any person with an appetite for hours and hours and hours of television and screen time every day tells you something about their character. Uh, a teenager with an appetite for wicked, ungodly, worldly music tells you something about his character. I'm simply saying, your appetite determines your character. And I ask you today, what are you hungry for? What, are your, what does your flesh desire? That's usually not good. But what do you and your spirit, what are you hungry for in your life? In the physical realm, a good appetite indicates good health. A poor appetite signifies sickness. I visited someone in a hospital very recently, and one of the concerns of the doctors and nurses was that this person had no appetite. They, they were gaunt, they needed food, but they did not have an appetite. And that is not a good thing uh, in the human body. Uh, some of us could deal a couple of days with no appetite, but uh, ultimately that's not a good thing to have no appetite. Spiritually, it's the same. And in this way, this beatitude is a revealer of our spiritual condition. And there, of course, there's not only the displaying, but there's a disdaining. The beatitude, this one, like the others, is scorned by the world because the Bible says a natural man receiveth not the things of God. They don't get it. They don't uh, obviously wouldn't agree with this. The world honors those who are deficient in character, filthy, uh, filthy in their morals, and grossly profane. It is the Quentin Tarantino's of this world. He's had 12 uh, Academy Award nominations. He's the kind of person that gets honored in the world. The Oscar Awards of Hollywood are not for the pure or the pious. I can tell you that for sure. But this beatitude here reminds us that righteousness is the path to true joy. Happy are those, or blessed, blessed meaning here happy, happy are those who thirst after righteousness. The world also rejects this truth, that holiness brings happiness. The world views holiness as a killjoy, a ruiner of happiness. But Christ and the Bible tells us that holiness is that which brings real happiness. It is sin, not holiness, that brings sorrow to men and women's lives. Here's how dumb the world is. They mock the right and embrace the wrong even though the wrong always cheats them and hurts them in the end. I've never went, in my life, I've never went to church for the Cory on a Sunday night and woke up with a hangover from it on Monday morning. It's not righteousness that gives you troubles and problems. It's sin that brings troubles and problems and sorrows. It's a fascinating thing that though this world is not interested in righteousness, it still blames God for all the evil in the world. As the lack uh, of righteousness, as if the lack of righteousness is God's fault. It's not God's fault, it's man's fault, man's sin. If mankind had an appetite for righteousness, it would stop the crime problem, 
It would stop lawlessness and a host of other things in the world that we struggle with if we had an uh, appetite for righteousness. Proverbs 21, 21. He that followeth after righteousness and mercy findeth life, righteousness, and honor. It would lift the character of our society to new heights if mankind hungered and thirsted after righteousness. And so it is an abject hypocrisy to live how we want to in society, often like animals, and then blame God when something bad happens. It's not His fault because it is those that hunger after, or hunger and thirst after righteousness that have His blessings promised to them. And then look at the developing. How do we develop this, uh, this beatitude? Well, first and foremost, as with everything in our Christian life, it begins right here, the Word of God. This is the most important uh, weapon in our arsenal, uh, the Word of God. This is how we grow. The Word of God promotes righteousness. It, the psalmist says in chapter 119, verse 11, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Getting into the Word of God is like get it going into a kitchen when food's being prepared. Whew, and the smells. I love walking into the house when... My wife is cooking something. The whole house smells like whatever she's cooking. It's wonderful. And what does it do? I might outside not really have realized I'm hungry, but then I walk inside, and all of a sudden I'm ravenous. You know what the feeling is? Because those things create hunger in you, and it, and it will inspire an appetite. And by the way, being around sin will do the same thing for you. It'll inspire an appetite, but it won't be good for you. I wonder if we spend, if we would, spend as much time in this book as we do in front of our screens. I wonder how much our appetite for this book would increase. We need to work on that appetite. A person hungering and thirsting after righteousness, they'll want more of this book, not less. And then also, not, the, not only the Word of God, but our worship. You'll never develop much of an appetite to do right if you don't worship in your local church. If, you're, if you don't go to church, you're going to have a hard time with your spiritual appetite. One of the benefits of true worship is that it will inspire you to holiness. Now, I don't know about you, but after I go to church on Sunday or Wednesday night too, boy, if you don't come Wednesday night, you're, you're missing a blessing. Wednesday nights are such a rejuvenating time for us. And I, I, I'm, I feel better. I feel like uh, my desire to serve God has been renewed. I, I feel like my mission has been realigned. My focus has been aligned again. And, and uh, this comes from being in the house of God. But skip church and stop going to church and soon you'll find you'll lose your appetite for righteousness. He who hungers and thirsts after righteousness never misses an opportunity of being where people seem to find it. Why, if we hunger and thirst after righteousness, why would we avoid places where we find it? Amen? That's where we go. That's where we ought to be. So, word of God, worship, and then work. In our physical body, work greatly increases the appetite. In fact, if you work hard, you'll, uh, I, I know uh, those in construction business and other hard physical labor, labors often eat more than just the three meals. They eat a lot more than than those who are sedentary behind a desk because work inspires an appetite. I remember growing up, I had to get up early. Until I went to college, I, had, I milked every day. And uh, we were down to one cow at the end just for our own family use, but still milking by hand every day. So, and we had other animals. We had horses and hogs and chickens and all that. So I had to get up early about an hour before uh, breakfast, and I had to get out and, and do all the chores. And when I would come in, especially when it was cold out, uh, I would come in and, and I, of course, would be ravenous. Of course, uh, 
14, 15, 16-year-old boy is ravenous 10 minutes after they eat anyway, right? And so I would be hungry because I had been working for the last hour. And then I would come in and on the table many, many mornings, to my absolute horror, there would be a bowl of oatmeal sitting on the table. Oatmeal. I hated oatmeal. I hate the name even. It's oats, but it's not a meal. It's for horses. That's what ho- I would have just fed our horses oats. And then I'd come in. I get to eat it too. My mom would trick us sometimes and throw in raisins. Raisins. Grapes who've lost their joy. That's what a raisin is. And uh, like raisins are going to make it any better. Uh, ra- raisin oatmeal cookies that look like chocolate, cookie, ch- chocolate chip cookies. That was the major reason of my trust issues when I was growing up. Because I'd see what I thought was a chocolate chip cookie and it was a raisin oatmeal. But you know what I did? I ate it. Do you know why I ate it? Because I was hungry. It was why I was hungry? Because I had been working. And when you work, when you're busy physically and laboring, uh, it doesn't matter if it's not your favorite meal. You're going to eat what they slop in front of you because you're hungry. And can I tell you, friend, uh, spiritually it's the same way. You get busy for God serving Him, and you'll be surprised at how quickly it increases your appetite for righteousness. There's Word of God, worship, work, and then there's watching. In this, in this idea of hungering and thirsting for righteousness, we ought to watch our diet. We can consume that which hinders this appetite for righteousness. Uh, do, taking things in our life, is go, uh, ungodly things and, and uh, watching the wrong things, listening to the wrong things, we can do those things that hinder our appetite for righteousness. In the physical life, when we eat the wrong food, it kills our appetite for the right food. How many times growing up did you hear your mom say, don't eat that candy before supper, it'll ruin your supper. You won't be able to eat. Uh, of course, moms who say that have no idea the molecular makeup of a 10-year-old's stomach, for one thing. But spiritually, this is true. If we are snacking on garbage and, and uh, doing these ingesting garbage of the world all day, whether it's television, social media, it's going to ruin your appetite for the things that God has for you. Before we get a taste for the Word of God, there's some indulgences we've got to get out of the way, got to get it out of our life before we are able to hunger and thirst for righteousness as we ought. If you're truly hungering and thirsting after righteousness, you'll avoid what you know to be harmful. Also, we avoid some things that aren't necessarily bad. They just dull your spiritual appetite. Now, let's look at the reward. Because those that realize the reward in this beatitude... They are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness. Like all the other Beatitudes we've already looked at, uh, the, for they, the word they uh, comes from an original word that means only they, or they only uh, will, re- will see the reward. It's a generous blessing. It says they'll be filled. Uh, yet it's also a limited blessing. It's only for those that hunger and thirst after righteousness. People who complain that their lives are empty ought to examine their appetites. And it'll make a difference in how you live as a, as a child of God. But look at the character of the reward here. There's a sureness. Shall be. Those that hunger and thirst after rightness shall be filled. Don't complain that God doesn't fulfill His promises. The shall be here uh, condemns man, not God, if you are not filled. He will do His end of the bargain. He always does. It's a sure thing. If you have an appetite for righteousness, it will be satisfied by God. He promises that. 
If you lack righteousness, then we look at our performance, not on God's performance. It's a sureness. But look at the source too. God is the source of this reward. Psalm 107.9, For He, that is God, satisfieth the longing soul. He filleth the hungry soul with goodness. James 1.17, Every gift uh, and every good gift and perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights. Psalm 68.19, uh, Blessed be the Lord who daily loadeth us with benefits. Jeremiah 31.14, My people shall be satisfied with my goodness, saith the Lord. Uh, the reward being for God, you can be assured that it is a quality reward and it is only the best that comes from Him. That's why He says you'll be filled. And then, let's look at that word filled. That gives us the size of the reward. It's a strong and graphic word. Uh, one meaning uh, for the original word that is translated filled is fattening. The idea of fattening up an animal. You know that turkey, the beginning of November? Man, the farmer loves me so much. He's giving me so much food. And just He's taking such good care of me, not knowing what's coming. That's the idea here. Fat, not that God's trying to fatten you up to destroy you, but the idea of fattening, giving you everything that you need and filling you. He is not cheap. He rewards abundantly. Those who have an appetite for righteousness, they will not be disappointed. I'm talking about a life full of righteousness, which we talked about a while ago, is approval. Uh, being approved of God, being accepted of God. And this is how, I'm not a big fan of the idea of self-esteem, but uh, this is how we feel right about ourselves and right with God and right about the world. This is what gives us confidence. This is what helps us to serve God as we should. That approval, that search for righteousness from Him. It's clear from this verse that the righteousness we're hungering and thirsting after is something we don't have. You don't hunger and thirst after food that you have. You eat what you have. But you hunger and thirst after what you don't have. And Matthew 6.33, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. This is the diametric difference between Christianity and religion. Religious people and Christians both will repent for their sins. A lot of religious people are even poor in spirit, like the first beatitude. Some religious people even uh, mourn over their sin, like the second beatitude. There are some religious people who are meek, like the third beatitude. The difference, though, between a religious person and a Christian, they both repent of their sins, but the Christian, don't miss this, also repents of his righteousness. Not only his sins, but his righteousness. Now, here's what a religious person says. I know I'm a sinner. I know I've done wrong. But look at all the good works I do. Look at all the money I've given. Look at how much I've went to church and what I've done for God. That's the people that in Matthew 7 will say, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in the name? Have we done all these different things? And he'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. Because they only repented of their sins, not of their righteousness. The Bible tells us that our righteousness are as filthy rags before God. And the Christian has a different attitude. He'll say, no, I even repent of that. I even give that up. I see that the only thing I can bring to Jesus is a repentant spirit. All my works will do nothing for me as far as salvation is concerned. It is only if I completely rely on what he has done, not anything that I have done. That's the difference between a religious person and a Christian, seek ye first the kingdom of God and His, His righteousness, not mine. Then the satisfaction. Think of the scene after Thanksgiving dinner. 
at your house or wherever you celebrate it. We eat and eat and eat. And then afterwards, we just sit around like beached whales laying there, hardly able to move in a food coma. I'm talking about satisfaction. Isn't that a great feeling? Ah, you couldn't do anything if you tried. And you're just sitting there completely and utterly satisfied. Filled is another word for that. And the filled, the, the filled in this verse, it'll meet the need and bring you satisfaction. In other words, it exp- this is the meaning of it. It expresses the total satisfaction of spiritual hunger and thirst. Psalm 107.9, He satisfieth the hungry soul. Are you hungry today? What are you hungry for? If you're hungry for what this world has to offer, I promise you, it'll hurt in the end. It won't help you in the long run. It's only if we hunger and thirst after righteousness, approval of God, is when we will be filled. The world's rewards do not satisfy. Instead, it'll leave you empty and without any satisfaction. Like eating at Taco Bell. You know what I'm saying? It's really good when you're eating it. And every single, and maybe you're not like me, but every single time I leave Taco Bell, why in the wide world did I do that? I'll never eat here again until the next time I'm hankering and I go in again. But there's some foods we eat, they don't leave us feeling satisfied. They leave us feeling, ugh. That's what the world would do to you. The world is Taco Bell. God is Chick-fil-A, okay? There we go. That's a good point. Chick-fil-A and Taco Bell. Look at when the reward is given. It is present. It is continuous. It is climactic. There are several applications of this reward. Of course, apply the beatitude to salvation. When we hunger for God in righteousness, uh, in salvation, the filling is immediate. He saves us and we become His child. The righteousness of Jesus Christ is immediately imputed to you. But apply this beatitude to your daily life. The filling will be continuous in accordance to your appetite. How you... Uh, what, in, in direct relation to how hungry and thirsty you are for the things of God is how much you'll be filled. Because if you're seeking after the things of this world, you're not going to be filled with the righteousness of God. But if you seek after Him, He'll fill you. If you apply this beatitude to eternity, the filling will be climactic. The promise is uh, fulfilled perfectly and absolutely in eternity. There is coming a day when all those in Christ will stand in the presence of God, faultless, blameless, without spot and without wrinkle. All our blemishes will be gone. We will stand in the presence of God, absolutely perfect in mind, body, and spirit. That'll be a great day, won't it? Righteousness comes to those who want it. Think about that statement. Righteousness comes to those who want it. Oh, preacher, I want it, but I can't get it. Yes, you can, if you hunger and thirst after it. Change your appetites. What are your, ap- what is your daily appetites? And by the way, you can control them. You can, you can work at changing your appetites. It ought not be after the things of the world that don't satisfy. Change your appetites. Start being faithful to the house of God. Start being faithful reading the word of God. Start being around the people of God and your appetites will change. And you'll be filled with good things, not the things of this world. That's how you'll be hungry and happy, having the right appetite. Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed.
We covered a lot of ground today, but maybe you're here this morning. You say, preacher, I've never taken that first step. I've never accepted him as my savior. And I need to do that today. I've been going after the things of the world. I've been doing, uh, expecting my own righteousness to make a difference. I've been thinking that my own good works will get me there. And I got to realize I've got nothing to offer him but my repentance. If that's you here today, nobody's looking around. I won't embarrass you or point you out. I just want to pray for you, preacher. I don't know for sure if something happened to me right now. I don't know for sure if I'd be in heaven. Would you slip up your hand? Let me pray for you. All right, thank you so much. What about you, dear Christian? How are your appetites? Do they need adjustment today? The altar's open. Would you stand along with me as she begins to play? Just heads out, bowed, and eyes closed still.